Welcome to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast with your host, award-winning realtor, Matt Glenn, and top producing mortgage broker, Taylor Atkinson. Professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. Okay, Matt, throne speech came out recently from BC government. Some pretty exciting information one very valuable piece of information, and I mean like monetary value, which is potentially saving one of my clients over $12,000. This is why you got to hire Taylor, man. He does <laughs> ideas like this. Just listen to this. And craziness. just to be clear, you don't actually have to hire me. I'm free. The banks pay for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, dude, I think it sounds better when I hire you. That means I have my own possible. Right. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I'm going to send you an invoice. <laughs> so yeah, the property transfer tax exemption, which has been an absolute thorn in my side when you're talking first time home buyers because the limit was $500,000. Now, like in Kelowna, there's not a lot of houses. Like, yeah, first time home buyers are getting into the market, but it just pushed a lot of people over that threshold and then they had to pay property transfer tax. And like it had a sliding scale to 525, which was completely useless. Yeah, it needed to be revamped. So I'm glad it is. Yeah, so yeah. now they've yeah. increased that to 835,000 which allows a lot more people specifically in the Okanagan region to get that grant for that exemption. So I have a client right now, property under contract, everything's firm, we're broker complete, instructions are ready to be sent to the lawyer, but we're going to see if we can push back closing by an extra couple of weeks because it's closing in March. And if we close April 1st or onwards, they're going to save $12,700 in property transfer tax. And that's not an expense that just gets added to the mortgage like CMHC fees, it is directly out of your pocket time yeah, of closing. You pay it on closing. Yeah. If you are closing on a property in the next couple months, you know, ideally it's in April, it's going to be a pretty rare occasion that you'd be able to push closing back a couple months because the person you're buying from is probably moving or needs those funds. But in this instance, it's currently a rental property. So we're able to push that back and save a bunch of money. Like it's only for first-time home buyers buying in a certain. Yeah, so not every sale has yeah. to push back. But yeah, you save them. Now they have over twelve grand to spend on renovations instead of tax. Yeah. so good for you. Yeah, yeah. Other things that are positive in the market: inflation report, Matt. You were reading that. Well, first, hold on. Let's go talk about the anti-flipping tax. So, house flipping in BC is. I'd say pretty much dead. Hey, with twenty percent to sell in one year, yeah, or up to two years with the sliding scale. So, but interestingly, there are some exceptions, and that is if you add a basement suite. Assume it has to be a legal basement suite or a carriage house, which I've always thought is ideal. If you go find like a two-story house and you buy it and renovate the whole thing, you add a legal suite into there, you make them top nicer. Like I always thought that was a play anyway to try and get the most value add into a property and then also kind of the safest exit strategy too because now you have a rental property at the end if you can't sell it. So I always thought that was a play anyway and then I got this. I think people are going to be taking advantage of the legal suite thing. What do you yeah, think? I like it. I don't know if it would incentivize people to make that large of an investment like it definitely helps but i don't know if it'd be the deciding factor would it like it's still going to cost a ton of money like to do a flip at all well to add a suite is that going to be the one piece that changes if someone's going to do it or not i don't know i think it's a good legislation oh, yeah. matter, but not everyone yeah. for sure i think flipping is effectively not a thing unless you specialize in adding legal suites yeah I just yeah. Always thought that was a good well, uh, that, you know like that's a good point like maybe now you know professionals are going to add more suites, but I don't love restricting 
flipping because like it's a service that's needed. There's a lot of rundown houses and people want a nicer place to live in and they don't want to take the headache, buy it and then renovate it and have nowhere to live in the meantime. So I don't love the government intervention on that one. Honestly, I agree with you. I always thought it was not a bad thing. Like obviously the lipstick ones and the shitty things that you hear about people flipping a house and it's just absolutely garbage job and they up the price by 150 grand or whatever they do. Like I always thought that was obviously a little suspect, but people that go in and do a really nice renovation, making the houses nicer in the street, like they are increasing the value of the house, but the house is just worth more because it's a nicer house. So I agree with you. I kind of like when people did it right. There's also the issue with people just like buying a house and not doing anything with it, like just buying it and selling it as is. Yeah, yeah. Few months later, like that's like speculating on it for sure. Yeah, and I guess maybe it also limits that strategy if like an investor is going to buy and try and kick out the tenant based on a renovation and then sell. But I don't know. Yeah, I just I don't love that rule so much, and I don't think there's any massive companies like who is going around and buying hundreds of single family houses to flip them. I don't think it's that prevalent. I don't know. What if they are? Like, do they need an agent? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That is funny. So also, we have this inflation report, 2.9%. We're now under 3%, which is ticking close to lower in interest rates. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, I've heard more and more talk coming down in the spring. I don't know if I'm totally on that train yet, but like, it also hasn't left the station. So it could happen (laughs) in the spring, but I think it's in the summer. I'm loving your analogies today. You're killing it. Yeah. (laughs) I I still think it's probably going to be the summer. The bond market's actually picked up a little bit from the data from the States about 10 days ago. Yeah. But it is a very good sign for our. Well, not a good sign for our economy, but it's a good sign for our balanced market, if you want to say that. I just, I also noticed that since that inflation report came out, gas prices have actually went up, <laughs> which will affect the inflation thing. So yeah, maybe a little too soon, but it's good news. It's heading in the right direction. Yeah. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. One other thing, watching the news this morning, global news, I saw in the ticker going across the screen, a colossally high number of Canadians plan to buy a home within a year. Saw that, didn't really see any context. I was like, man, I got to check this out. So I Googled it, went to the old Google machine, went to global, figured it out. Here's what it says. So with Canada's housing market starting to turn a corner, there is a growing demand for home ownership with a colossally high number of people planning to buy a home within the next year, according to a new poll. Almost half, 49% of people surveyed last month said that they plan to purchase a home within the next five years. That percentage is up from a year ago when it was only 43% expressed the same intent. Over the next 12 months, about 1 in 10, 11% or 4.4 million Canadians plan to buy a home, which is still a colossally high number given that the greatest number of homes ever sold in a single year in Canada was 700,000. So... 4.4 million people in Canada say they want to buy a home this year. And the highest number we've ever sold is 700,000. So obviously not 4.4 million people are going to buy a home. But what if a quarter of those people do? That's over a million. That's 1.1 million people. Or what if 20% do? I don't know what the math is on that, but it's equaling the highest number of homes ever sold. Yeah. So this could be a good year. For turnover, at least. Well, I don't know what the price is or what that means, but with the interest rates coming down, this could be a good year. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like our sales revenue, for sure, I think it's going to be a good year. In terms of like what the government's trying to do, affordable housing, I think this is going to counter (laughs) that. Some very interesting. Well, the number of sales, I guess, yeah, more people buying, supply and demand, but if people moving doesn't really. Well, yeah, it's tough to see the transparency in that data because we have had the largest growth of our population, largest immigration. Most of those people 
need to find somewhere to live, whether they're going to buy or rent. And then the renter that's moving out of that tenanted property is then going to buy. So I think that's adding a lot to it. And I've seen some charts recently that like the amount we're building is historically the highest we have ever produced in Canada. Like hundreds of thousands of our projects are currently in place, building permits, like everyone's trying to do their best to build, but we can't keep up with the demand because we have this massive influx of people that are buying. So it kind of, yeah, corresponds with your data there. I honestly think there is a massive opportunity in Kelowna to buy a condo this year. Yeah. I've been saying this, condo prices are going to come down in the next few months. Like it's almost a certainty with these certain short-term rental things. Yeah. But they're not going to stay down, right? So they're going to come down. Our interest rates are going to come down. There is an opportunity to go buy a condo. I would say mid-range condo. So I'm talking about one that's like kind of 600000 to a million dollars. I think you're going to get the best deals on those condos in the next six months until the fall. I think there's an opportunity. If you there. are a first-time home buyer, you should be looking at a decent condo. There are going to be sales and you get your property transfer tax waived now that the threshold is high enough like there is a huge opportunity yeah. and property transfer tax on new builds i think it's up to 1.1 don't quote me for sure but it's definitely a million but i think it's 1.1 where you don't have to pay property transfer tax on new builds if you're first time home buyer. don't quote so, us on anything <laughs> <laughs> well you can quote me on this that is a good year to buy a condo in Kelowna. i'm telling you yeah you heard it here first yeah talking about like a national kind of figure like some of the stats we've been yeah. speaking about the two guys we have on today are near and dear to us, Tom and Brandon, both mortgage yeah. agents, brokers out in Ontario. We discussed the difference. Yeah, yeah. But big <laughs> entrepreneur guys, they have yeah. their own couple podcasts. Like we struggle. Yeah, they're doing, doing good doing things one. over there at the yeah. Invested Entrepreneur and the Commission Breath Podcast. Yeah, so great guys to reach out to. If you want to know yeah. about, you know, tips and tricks just to run a business or kind of the Ontario market, definitely give them a listen yeah. to. They're pretty knowledgeable dudes. And if you think our social media is banging, it's basically because we copy everything they do. <laughs> so they're doing the research. We're reaping the rewards. Yeah. So and if you don't yeah, like ours, are... then tell them to change theirs and then we'll follow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We'll get it. We'll get it somewhere down the line. But yeah, all the improvements yeah. are coming from them. Awesome. So well, enjoy the show. There are a couple of fun guys. Connect with them for sure. Definitely. Welcome to the show, Brandon and Tom. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. Is the vibe different on our show? What do you notice right away? We're just getting started. We're just opening up, so we'll see where the direction takes us. I feel like we already had an hour-long podcast before we hit record. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we like to start our show for you guys to kind of connect with our listener a little bit. What's your perfect productive Friday look like? Yeah, basically what gives you kind of energy throughout the workday leading into the weekend? Go for it, buddy. Yeah, so my perfect Friday, I get my daughter dropped off at school. I come back, I catch up on a couple emails. I try not to have any active files or client meetings on Fridays just because going into the weekend, if things get delayed, it's a bit of a shit show. Yeah. I send my weekly realtor email and then I try to wrap things up. So right now I'm usually wrapping up kind of around like that one o'clock marker on Fridays. I was saying to Tom last week, my goal is to just completely remove Fridays for us going forward. I love that. Is that like from any that you just want like a longer weekend or what's the purpose of that? I was at my chiropractor and he was like, yeah, at a certain point, I just eliminated on my Friday. And I'm like, what did you do with all the clients? He's like, I just jammed them all in Monday through Thursday. And I just work like insanely hard during that stretch. I'm like, how's it working out for you? He's like, I love it. I feel like so great for those four days. My brain is so focused on just work and it works so well for me. And I was like, I wonder if I could do that with mortgages. And I'm like, always telling people don't close on Fridays. Yep. Don't do this on Fridays. I'm like, what if I just said we're closed on Fridays? It's got uh, four hour work week vibes for sure. Yeah. I do love Timothy Ferris, but yeah. uh, 
not to the level of like having everything VCs and that level, but yeah. do you know him pretty well? I've never heard anyone call him Timothy. I was just gonna say that. It's like your his father. <laughs> yeah. No, we're yeah, buddies. I usually just call him Timmy, but, yeah. uh, what about you, Thomas? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so pretty similar actually, because we had this conversation last week and still working on it, but I'm trying to get at least start with a half day on Friday and be done at 12. And I tried to get all of my files kind of like wrapped up for the week by that point. But obviously, the nature of our business, things come up. So as of right now, I'm still attempting that. But to back things up, the start of the day, what I do is Monday to Friday, I wake up at 4.45 in the morning. From there, I'll either work out. Monday, Wednesday, Friday is my workout times. If I'm not working out, I'll pound a coffee and just go work. And then I'll just work until probably 7.30 when my son wakes up, crush the rest of the day. And on Friday, if I'm done at 12 that day, go do something with the family. And then from there, I'll always finish the day with at least one drink. It's either going to be a Negroni or an old fashioned. <laughs> nice. I like it. It's not like yeah. most people are like, I'm always going to do something healthy. You're like, I'm always going to have nah. a drink. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm healthy all week. That's my yeah. little treat to myself on the Friday, Saturday. How'd you pick yeah. 445? Have you always been a morning guy? No, never. So it started probably, I want to say 10 years ago, I transitioned to wanting to wake up earlier. And it was strictly for the fact that I wanted to just install habits in my life, like whether it was exercise, eating healthier, and just having a set routine. And then I started lowering that time, I want to say I probably started at like maybe 630 or something. And then this year, specifically, I went from 530 down to 445, like progressively. And the reason for that is I just want to crush out more work before the day kind of gets ahead of you. And I found that once like nine o'clock hits, client emails come in, you got to deal with active files. And I just found that I was way more productive, getting my stuff done earlier. And another thing that was of influence to that was I do have a young boy, he's one years old. So he wakes up even earlier now at 630. So I'm trying to get everything done before he wakes up. So at least I feel a little bit productive before uh, the day gets ahead of me. Good for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm lucky if my son can get to 6.30. Is he up earlier? <laughs> yeah. I'm usually up earlier too. I'm not up at 4.45, but I'm up earlier than that. Yeah, I know his up. son's up at yeah. what, 5 yeah. and Matt gets up at 6. So yeah. <laughs> wow. let's him walk around for an hour. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit about your guys' business. You guys are both mortgage agents from Ontario. Yeah, you're speaking to a broker here. What is the difference in Ontario? I can't follow you guys. It's so stupid. So mortgage agent level one can do mortgages. Mortgage agent level two can do mortgages, private and alternative as well. And then broker can manage a team. Wow. Really? Okay. Well, sorry for you. Can you manage a team, Taylor? Can you manage a team? Uh, Not well. Not well. (laughs) In, in In BC, we're just called brokers. Or like a sub broker yeah. and a broker. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. there's no agent. It's, I'm jealous of that, man. Like we had to do a full week course test after. Well, hold on though. It's, to it, get, it's not to honestly, get your license in good. Ontario but, though. You can do it in like a week, right? Yeah. yeah. Is it yeah, different it's, there? It's like minimum three months. Both yeah. very oh, short. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's no kidding. No hard like to help people with the biggest investment or purchase in their life, and you're saying like you can get the course done in three months on your side, even quicker for us because it's all online for the agent license. I always found that pretty yeah. nuts. And that's why you have so much turnover in the industry is because of these people that think it's like a get rich quick scheme and they enter and then they leave after a year because they totally yeah. Is a test pretty hard in Ontario then for you guys? The agent test was really easy. 
the broker test was hard because like it's all based on what the government would do and then you're like you've been brokering mortgages for a few years so you're like this is what i would actually yeah. do in this scenario yeah, yeah. Um, so it was just kind of like not the same i think that yeah. test in bc is pretty hard eh, Taylor? Taylor Passage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can't be that high. Well, it, it's like a lot of courses like that. Like the theory is not that applicable to the real life. That's like industry. being an agent. Also. Read the book, like you that. jump through the hoops, you memorize, and then you pretty much put 90% of it, you know, back on the bookshelf and you start to learn the yeah. real world. But in terms of like being successful in the industry, you guys have done great. You also, I mean, we've been on your podcast. That's why we wanted to bring you on ours as well. So Invested Entrepreneurs podcast, you guys interview people weekly, obviously entrepreneurs, mostly within Canada, a lot kind of in the real estate business. What do you find separates like successful and unsuccessful entrepreneurs? Like what can people do? What are the key takeaways that you guys see? Obviously, everyone has a different industry and a different angle for a lot of things. But the common threads that we see a lot is that the people who are successful know what to focus on and they pour all their energy and efforts into those things and they basically ignore everything else or do it as their like fun thing to do. It's like, I'm going to do all my prospecting calls and then it's nice to have this extra layer on my business that's like a podcast or something like that. But they don't ever give up the prospecting for the fun thing. Yeah, I would probably say the same if I had to boil it down to two things. It's not like revolutionary what I'm about to say, but it's consistency and sticking to basics and just sounds super cheesy, but never really giving up on what you're trying to pursue. Because I find that the breaking point for most entrepreneurs, they're almost like, if you look at a graph, they're probably like coming along like this. And then all of a sudden, they would hit that breaking point and their business would shoot off. But a lot of people give up right before that happens. I feel like that happens with a lot of entrepreneurs. And it's the ones that just kind of believe in themselves and sticking long term to it, and not chasing that shiny object and trying multiple different things in their business. I think that's the commonalities we've seen since starting our podcast. What made you guys switch to being entrepreneurs or have you always been entrepreneurs? Like, was it the autonomy, the freedom, the money, the stress? Yeah, I've always been entrepreneurial. And I think it was just like, I would try to go do something like consulting or working for a different company and like try to fit in that box and be like, I would do it this way. You're an idiot, whatever. And just like, Eventually, I'm like, hey, fuck, I cannot work for someone else. I need to just work for myself. So that became pretty clear about mid-20s that I knew that that was never going to be a course I could take. So I just had to figure out something in the entrepreneurial space. Just a terrible full-time employee. So you were forced to be oh, self-employed. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. yeah, we grew up together. And it's funny because like he always had something going on. And from what I remember back in high school is he was like always the wallet man. Bacchus and Barley was this company he had started up making wallets and other those keychain holders or whatever yeah, you call them, all right? Craze. Like my buddy's dad yeah. owned like a leather company that made the back patches on jeans. So we're oh, like, yeah. oh, he makes all these other accessories. So we had like a great manufacturer and we would just like make wallets, catch all trays, key rings. It was a great business, but we were way too oh, young right to handle like the responsibility. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I still got it. Yeah. Yeah, Lifetime guarantee. Like, that's yeah. the one you made? <laughs> I still have mine too. Passport cases, like everyone still uses it. Like they were fantastic, but like we were in Golf Digest. We got like tons what? of like great feedback. What? But then we couldn't like, we couldn't handle it. We would get thousands of dollars in and then we would be like, let's order so much inventory. We couldn't sell it. Like we just had no discipline. We were just really bad. So you did what time. Tom said. You kind of gave up before it really took off. You just needed yeah. to tweak a couple <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah. 
literally there was a period where we would meet and we would like talk for half an hour and then we would i don't know who's listening to this but sorry mom we would smoke a joint and have a couple beers and then we would be like that was a good day it was amazing that sounds was like in the early 20s yeah. yeah i know it was just like if you gave me the opportunity now i would totally do different but yeah that would it is i mean you talk, you always been an entrepreneur Yes and no. It's always been in something I realized, I'd say three years ago, it's always been in the back of my mind yeah. and the way I think about things, but I never really knew that up until yeah, three years ago where I was always working as an employee. Yeah. It took me seven year journey to get hired on as a professional firefighter. So all I did in my life was just focus on trying to get hired as a firefighter. Yeah. And for those that are listening that are, they understand how hard it is just yeah. to get into that career. So it took me the seven years. And then once I got on, loved the job. And, you know, at that point, I just wanted something to keep working towards after getting on because it, that was my life, the seven years of trying to get on. So at that point, I started doing mortgages and realized quickly that like entrepreneurial endeavors and just the whole space in general was like something that really clicked for me. And then that's kind of what started off our podcast too was both of us have always been interested in the FIRE community, yeah. Financial Independence Retire Early. So we wanted to start a podcast, not only about that, but more specifically focusing on the FI part, so financial independence. And both of us are of that mindset. And that's kind of what brought us to starting the podcast. That's funny. Eh? Nice. Firefighter to the fire. Yeah. Or the firefighter <laughs> yeah, to the fire. Yeah. That's perfect. Um, with that, like, what role do you think entrepreneurs play in the economy? Canadian economy or just in Canada in general? Like personally, I feel entrepreneurs are like very crucial to Canadian growth and evolution on a lot of things, technology, you know, the way businesses are run, et cetera. But I don't feel it's really that supported by the Canadian government. Like I feel they would rather have everyone as like a full-time employee paying a T4 yeah. kind of tax. Yeah. What's your guys' stance on that? couldn't agree with you more i think entrepreneurs are such an important part of like the overall mosaic of canada and like creativity business owners what they contribute and like how they have society evolve it always starts with entrepreneurship i think and i think largely they're shunned by the top level of society like if you look at mortgage lending for example it's harder as an entrepreneur anything to do with your taxes, it's extremely difficult from the government as an entrepreneur. Anything like this makes it very difficult to be a small business owner. Once you scale and you start to grow, they're great to support you once you're big business, but when you're small business, it's quite a difficult journey. And I think that's really wrong in our society, but it also, it creates kind of a separate microcosm where entrepreneurs are also supporting each other. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm like more likely to stop at the mom and pop shop or like go somewhere else because I recognize that's someone else who's paying for their kid's hockey or trying yeah. to take their trip a year kind of thing. Totally. So yeah. there's two sides to everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Tom? Do you got any input on that? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with all that. And it's just, I always look back and think like, why wasn't entrepreneurship like ever presented to me at an early age? Like, why is it never talked about? And it goes back to like, of course, like the school systems, it's always geared towards teaching people like you got to go to college, university, pick the job that's right for you. And thinking back to like when I was in high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I just wish someone told me like, hey, this is an option here that you can do. You don't have to go to college. You can figure things out before you do that. Like not saying don't go to college or university, but hey, here's this other option. And it actually might be 
a better fit for you and your personality. Yeah, it is funny. A school like it does teach you how to be a really good employee. Like I feel like yeah. entrepreneurship is something that people don't even they know that you can be an entrepreneur, but they don't really understand how limitless the possibilities are. And like you can do anything yeah. you want to do. You know? Yeah, exactly. I always thought of entrepreneurship as like just the typical business owner that owns like yeah, mom and pop yeah. shop. Like it, there's so many levels to it in different types of businesses, and I never knew any of that. Yeah. Honestly, probably up until like four years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's the definition of an entrepreneur? Is it just self-employed, taking Fridays off, starting a business? Like, I guess so many people... You start with your day off and you work from there. That's what you do. <laughs> like, yeah, so yeah, many yeah. people can just be there and entrepreneur. But yeah, it is kind of a loose term. Yeah, that used to be the running joke that like we used to call ourselves when we had that leather business and stuff like that. We were kind of like, we're entrepreneurs because we like <laughs> want to be entrepreneurs. But we have this business where like we're not doing much work. I think for me defines an entrepreneur now as someone who's actually working on creating a business for themselves. And that's what they're pouring their energy and their life's focus towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like Brandon said too, there's different layers to it. Like just because you're an entrepreneur doesn't mean that you have more freedom. If anything, a lot of entrepreneurs work more hours than the typical employee, but that's where the different layers come into play. Like if you're starting out your business, you're probably going to be grinding for a while until you can hire out some people and take some tasks off your plate. And to me, that's where the real magic happens is when you buy back your time by having this system and people underneath you that can help support your business. Yes. Okay, well, since this is a real estate-based show as well, leading into 2024, what are you guys kind of seeing in your market out east in terms of transactions or you know, are prices going down, up? And part two of that, kind of where do you see the market going in terms of interest rates and just... Yeah, what are the transactions looking like? So weird here in out east. Yeah, no, like for, yeah. from like someone in Ontario, like we never hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, so if I can speak to our business specifically, January was super super slow, yeah. and February has come out kind of like out of the gates flying in terms of people reaching out, whether it's people that are looking to get an update on their pre approval or people that have been sitting on the sidelines for a bit. We're seeing a lot more of that right now. So it definitely is heating up a little bit. I'm not saying it's craziness, but we're definitely seeing that now. And uh, just speaking to like other realtors that we're partnered up with, I'm seeing more activity in the major hubs. So like GTA area and the bigger cities, but it hasn't really trickled out too much to the secondary markets. So that's what I'm seeing. And in terms of rate cuts, I still see between 0.75 to 1%. That's a bold prediction, but I'll put it out there. I'm seeing that in terms of a rate cut for 2024, but I think we won't see the first cut until mid-year now with the recent news in the U.S. coming out. So a lot of people were predicting early spring is when we're going to see that first cut, but I think we'll probably see it maybe June. Yeah, I had faith that it was going to come in March, but now I'm thinking June too. Yeah. yeah, I was always going with April, but I had that written down. Anytime someone asked me, I'm like, it's going to be in April. No, yeah. Chris, well, that's my prediction. Now I'm like, maybe a little bit after, but it's going to happen at some point. I don't yeah, think it's, it's going back. It is interesting yeah. how this conversation has shifted. Like obviously going up, is just off the table now completely. And it's coming down. Yeah. It's just a yeah. matter of time. Like when, like what month really, right? We're just waiting yeah. for these announcements to see what happens. So it's a shift that's subtle, but it's significant, you know, so. Hmm. Are you finding like your guys' clients out there are comfortable now with where rates are? Like I feel more stressful conversations were happening seven, eight months ago when like the volatility was still there and fixed rates were pretty high. But now that fixed rates have kind of like come down substantially since then, or maybe there's just a complacency where people are like, yeah, like I'm used to a 
five and a half percent rate now. Yeah, I, I can see that too, man. I think it's just people are more comfortable with where rates are at now. And a lot of them are pleasantly surprised when we show them fixed rates too, because nobody knows that fixed rates fluctuate more rapidly and volatile versus the Bank of Canada overnight rates. So just explaining that to people and understanding that, hey, fixed rates have actually dropped over the last one to two months and showing them, hey, we have rates in the low fives and some like insured were in the high fours. So if people are more comfortable with it. Okay, here's sure. a tough question, but you guys probably answer it weekly. Client comes to you, insured mortgage, so owner occupied less than a million dollars, so very competitive rates. What are you putting them in if qualification isn't an issue? Meaning they could go variable, they could go three year fixed, four year, five year. Yeah. So is it first time home buyer? Yeah, depending on the profile. First time home buyer, I've been recommending fixed more frequently just because they get the stability of making the monthly payment. They build out their first kind of budget that way. Term wise, I don't ever recommend past three year unless someone's really like I want a five and then I'm like, just please take a four. But <laughs> like three years is kind of the sweet spot. If we're doing variable right now, it's like you have to have that conversation with them that they're going to have short-term pain and hopefully long-term gain. And some of them can wrap their head around it. If they're not getting their head around it, I'm like, hey, let's just go short-term fixed. Yeah, variable is a tough one right now because it's so much higher than fixed. Like it's going to have to yeah. drop two and a half percent over like a three-year term compared to a three-year fix to kind of break even on that whereas like uh yeah i don't want to put anyone in a five-year but like qualification wise sometimes you just depending on the lender you kind of yeah, force yeah. your hand it's nice the three-year yeah the three-year is nice it's just like yeah why, why wouldn't you do a five-year like what's the reasoning behind that peak market right now for where rates are so yeah. yes you're getting a bit of a discount but they're locked in for that long period no flexibility there also statistics show that majority of Canadians break their mortgage around the three-year marker. So yeah. you're either setting them up to be forced to port that product or incur a penalty to break their mortgage. So I like the three-year because you know that you hit that statistical marker, they get the stability of the fixed product, and then they also get kind of that sweet spot in terms of the rate cycle. Yeah, the penalty uh, needs yes. to be a conversation when you're putting somebody in a five-year fix right now. Because if rates drop, even a percent, percent and a half, depending on the lender, like interest rate deferential calculation on that is going to be massive if one, they either sell or they want to break it and go to a different product or yeah. do a refi or like there's so many scenarios that, you know, there's a huge liability there. So I do love like asking that question and hearing brokers say, yeah, like I do three year a lot right now because generally brokers get paid less on a shorter term where if a client just goes to a mm -hmm. bank, I've never heard of a bank posing, hey, why not a three year? That's a great product for you because the banks are going to make less money on that, you know? So yeah, good for you guys. I'll give a bit of a spin to that. I'm actually okay with a five-year fix if it's insured. I don't push it because I would agree with Brandon. I would rather them go into a shorter term. But for first-time homebuyers that want that stability, they want the lowest rate, the lowest payment, like a five-year fix, say call it 5.09% right now for the average monoline lender, pretty good. And I wouldn't be too shocked if we don't go too much lower than that in the next couple, two, three years. So I don't think it's horrible, but I would lead towards the short-term fix. And then if it were me and my personal mortgage and I was going insured, I would definitely go with the five-year variable. If we have that discount of 0.9% off of prime, I would definitely go with that, but I'm more risk tolerant versus like if it was a first time home buyer, I wouldn't really recommend that. Yeah. The three years are tough one with that because you're hedging that in three years, rates are going to be substantially cheaper than they are right now in a five-year. So it's like, I find right now yeah. the margins 
especially predicting them are much slimmer than they were over the past couple of years. Like previous, it was so much easier to be like, oh, the three year is a great option or like a year and a half ago, a three year was a really good product because in three years, yeah. like we're predicting that. Yeah. But now it's like, well, three years out, are they going to be much lower? So yeah. Yeah. What about, yeah. Have you guys found people just reluctant to go into a variable at all because of what happened over the last few years? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people that yeah. either are scared of it themselves or their parents are telling them, don't go variable. Like, look what happened to me when I renewed variable, yeah. I'm paying this amount more. So there's a lot of people like that. I always just tell those people, I'm like, you know what? Like if that's your mindset going into this, there is a price on a good night's sleep. Just take the fixed option and don't think about your mortgage yeah. until you count for renewal. And yeah. It does seem something it. satisfying about just knowing what your payments are for the next three, four five years. Like as yeah. long as you can make them, it seems kind of easy to do that. Especially for, for also it depends on the lender you're with, but you have options too. Like if you want a lower rate and you're locked into a five year fix, if you want to latch onto a lower rate, you can do that without breaking your mortgage too. Like there's lenders like Scotia where you can go and you can do what's called a blend and extend. Say you're two years in and rates have dropped and you have a five year fix, you can go back to them and request a lower rate. And they'll blend your current rate with whatever the rate is at that point. There's pros and cons to it. You're going to extend back to a five-year term. But if you really want that lower rate, it's an option for people to go with. Yeah. Is there options for people that have variables right now that are higher to switch into a, a fixed? What yeah. would that look like for somebody? So we did actually quite a bit of that. Around the springtime last year, there was like a rate drop and it was pretty attractive. There was kind of stuff in the mid fours at one point. And we were just breaking the variable. So paying a three-month interest rate penalty and then putting them in a short-term fixed product and for those people it worked out because now they're in like a three-year fixed saved all that money because the variable hasn't come down yet and they've recovered that penalty plus now on the positive side of things you can also do that with certain lenders if you're like not switching lenders you can take what their fixed product is that's also a strategy right now that people might have is okay if i think bond market and the fixed product is still going to go down over the next year but I don't want a one-year fixed and then hope that it's going to be there in a year. Take a variable, and then whenever you see rates drop what you want, then you can kind of lock into that. There's a million um, different ways to slice it. Yeah, most of them aren't letting you lock in and lower your term, though. So if you take the variable yeah. and you go for one year, you have to then lock into the four-year option. They won't let you go and then lock into the one year. So there's a little bit of like gaming and nuance to it. That's why you call a broker, though. Yeah, a mortgage broker or a mortgage agent. Either one works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nothing changed on our day-to-day. Um, yeah. Okay, another question for you guys then. What do you find like is the most powerful tool right now if you're either just trying to get into the market or buy a rental property? Like, What can people do to position themselves best, whether it's a mortgage product or... Can we, we stayed on three, Brandon? I already know what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We should say it on three, but... I test it. Okay. You got to say it on three. Then. <laughs> I test it. Yeah. You got to say okay. that. Oh, you go on, go. So three, two, one, okay. go. So three. I'm talking. We got to redo that. I feel like there was an episode of The Office here. <laughs> Yeah, it's like when I play Rock of the with my daughter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, house hacking is the best. Yeah, the okay. best Can you so, explain yeah. that to our for, listener? Yeah, for sure. So take a house you're looking at getting, either there's a basement unit or a granny suite or something like that. You are using that rental income to qualify for the mortgage. 
And then that rental income also offsets your monthly payment. So it becomes a lot more palatable for your budget. And it also starts to build equity that way. If you get in your first house, you can house hack with as little as 5%. And the beauty of this is when you're ready for the next property, you can buy that next property with as little as 5% once again. Keep the house that you're currently hacking rent out the other unit and now you have two units rented out contributing to your income so it increases your qualification once again as well as offsets the mortgage and gives you some cash flow yeah so it's a dream it. it's a real estate leverage dream to start with if i can go back i would do it hands down like if i knew about that strategy and i didn't have a family i would 100 percent do it too late for me now but that's what i would cost. do to scale i lost costs yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and you yeah, can't my wife go backwards too, right? Like you can't go backwards in the eyes of the lenders too. Because it's like, why yeah. are you giving up your single family home to now go live in a duplex or a triplex? Like it doesn't make sense. Or I'm looking at your income statements. Times aren't that tough. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny the things that you don't know, right? Let's go back to entrepreneurship too. Like you just don't know what you don't know, right? So you, like, how do you fix that? You got to go talk to people. You have to read books, listen to podcasts, like. Yeah, I wish I would have known this too when I bought my first house because I probably would have made sure it was one with a suite or suiteable. Or I think it's getting better though, like in terms of resources. Because yeah. when I was in high school, I mean, I can't remember when YouTube came out, but it definitely wasn't as prevalent as it is yeah. now. Like just having YouTube or podcasting like yeah. this wasn't around, and there wasn't as many resources. Whereas I think like the younger generation, they're on these platforms, so the information is going to come at them more often than not. Versus like when we were younger, we didn't really have this. No shit. Totally. So I had a cousin gives me a call and he's like 20 years old and he's asking me questions about investing in real estate wow. i was like i just learned about this like four years ago and here you are like 20, yeah. just even the fact that you're asking me these questions just a given awesome. that you're going to be a successful kid right nail right on the head there like there's just a lot more resources out right now and people like us are spreading yeah. the word all the time yeah. Oh, yeah and like we always say this like people turn to youtube now instead of like watching tv the younger yeah. kids yeah. so like my steps always watch stuff on youtube yeah. and i like the other day i was like looking for something on netflix I'm like fuck this i'm just gonna watch a few youtube videos and i ended up watching like way more focused stuff on like real estate entrepreneurship like yeah. i went down this whole rabbit hole but i'm like that's what they're getting they're getting like the five to ten minute pure information versus like selling Sirhant or whatever kind of selling sunset content. Right? So, Are you telling me that listener is not going to understand my office reference a few minutes ago? <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Don't insult our listeners. Our listeners might. Yeah. Yeah. Our listeners might. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to go back a second there too. Like I'm kind of doing house hacking for a client right now. But you also have to work with someone that you're comfortable with and you are aligned with and you think yeah. is the right fit for you because they went to their local bank. It's a basement suite. It's a house. Obviously, it's a house with a basement suite, but the rental income, and I know how their specific bank calculates it for the subject owner-occupied house is not enough to qualify them for purchase price needed, but we have access to a you know, two lenders and specifically that use a hundred percent of the rental income from that, less the property taxes and the heat. And I was like, this is easy. We can make this work all day. So it's not that that person has to go and shop around and figure out which lender has what guideline. You just find someone that you're confident with and you work with them and they'll do the hard work for you. Yeah, that's a great point. One third of the benefits of house hacking is the mortgage qualification. So you want to use that to the best of your abilities. And I think you're talking about MCAP and Strive. Oh, I'm going yes, to drop some exactly. names. Because it's for the, for the good, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so mortgage qualification, you're going to get more when you house hack versus on your own and you're just buying a straight up residence. You're going to have your mortgage pay down from someone else doing it and your cash flow 
is going to be better because someone's helping you with the mortgage payment and you're going to get into the market quicker because if you're debating on moving out of province, even we're seeing a lot of people go out West to Calgary, West for us, instead of doing that, maybe you can look in your own area and try to see if you can make it work. And that's your first step is reach out to someone like Taylor and he's got the options on his side for the best rental offsets. And yeah, I guess it goes yeah. back to also like how long your term is and variable versus uh fix and all those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. The other piece I love to do with the house hacking comparison is like, once you do that budget and you see how much your carrying cost is to then compare that to what it would cost you to rent that exact same unit yeah. as you're buying. Yeah. And that's the mind blowing one. Like I helped a woman out in Sarnia area do this and her monthly carrying costs is like $750 and the rent for that home would be like 2200 minimum. So she was like over the moon yeah. and building equity, paying down the mortgage, Love yeah. And then you send her an invoice every month for like 1500 bucks because you're, you know. <laughs> I actually had a client call me after a full year and they were like, I feel really bad. I paid my lawyer. I paid my realtor the commission on the sale of my last home. I never got your bill. And like <laughs> husband and I have just been feeling terrible. And like, they yeah, thought you just we, forgot about it? Yeah, it's like I just need to like, I'm clean, like, let me know and I'll pay it. Like, I don't know if you forgot. I'm like, I don't charge you anything. I'm paid directly by the lender. And she's like, what? I'm like, thanks for coming clean. I'm married for a whole year. <laughs> that is hilarious. That actually just happened to me as well. A client was like, hey, I'm doing my taxes and it was a rental property. I need to know how much you charged me. I was like, I didn't charge you anything. Wow. <laughs> so, it happens so often, man. And that's I why I like that a lot as an agent. I get asked that a lot too. Like, go just talk to a mortgage broker. Like, well, I don't cost too much money. I'm like, no, yeah. it does not. I open my calls with that now. I'll say like, hey, by the way, like before we proceed, I'm not charging you anything. Just a heads yeah. up. Because like you would get to the end of your phone call and the whole time they're probably yeah. thinking like, fuck, what is this guy charging me by the end of this? Yeah. So I try to get it up front now because general population still doesn't really know what mortgage brokers do and it's not to their fault. It's just not really public oh, knowledge. There is private lenders you have to do. Yeah, so certain right? alternative lenders and private lenders, private. you have to charge a fee because they don't charge anything. But there's obviously reasons why we need to use those. So yeah, people are interested in that. We do have a podcast. I forget which episode it was, but we did have a private lender on talking about that. Yeah, that's just how they structure it. But for any kind of A conventional monoline lenders, yeah, they just pay us. I'm going to lead into our kind of wrap up questions here. If you could buy any property in the Okanagan in the next 12 months, what would it be? I'm going to go like on Okanagan Lake so I can swim with Ogopogo. <laughs> and... <laughs> nice. Well, I was going to say Okanagan Lake too, but that's definitely a wittier comment. <laughs> yeah, I have to make sure he's free that day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was actually scared of that when I was a child swimming in that lake. So, so there <laughs> is, I think, sturgeon in Okanagan Lake. Hey, uh, Taylor? I haven't seen any. I haven't seen <laughs> any either. Pretty deep. I think they can go pretty deep, but yeah, I think you're safe. You'll have all your toes when you get out of the water. My limbs yeah. are bigger now, so I think it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. What's the best thing you guys have uh, spent money on? AirPods. 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 You yeah, wear them right 200 now. 200 bucks. No, you're not. No, no. But my wife hates it. I wear them all over the house all the yeah. time. Like I have YouTube premium, so I don't go through the ads. Yeah. And I'll just put it on like one and a half or two times speed. And man, like the $200 investment from the AirPods, I've learned so much. I've been wearing AirPods for a while, but like the AirPods Pro, love them. Got to get those. But yeah, just biggest investment for me is just I got to say, I love how you started that. Well, I shouldn't say I love that, but you're like, AirPods, my wife hates them. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a great investment, buddy. Um, I'll see you yeah. in marriage counseling. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. For me, I'm going to go like, 
I think the best investments usually like traveling and booking trips. Trips to the Okanagan. Trips to the Okanagan. Yeah, I'm gonna come in the summer next time. I keep going in like January. Yeah, and, like always. Yeah, you know, next time you yeah, guys come out here, we'll do a live recording. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What yeah, is uh, what's your favorite charity, or how do you give back? My favorite is going to be Sick Kids. Just helped out some of my family before, and so I'll donate to them annually and then kind of whenever they're doing the LCBO collecting on them, I always toss a few extra too. Mine is Burlington Hospice and that's in my hometown and grandma always loves when we donate to it. So nice. That's fantastic. How can Taylor or I or our listener help you guys out? What do you want us to do for you? So if you are on YouTube, as we talked about, check out The Invested Entrepreneur. That is the best place to find our shorts and to listen to our full episodes as well. Yeah. Also, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, if you look up The Invested Entrepreneur, that'd be wonderful. Right on. Do you have pants you on that. YouTube as well or just shorts? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Dad, you had two kids. All right. Well, it was great having you guys on the show. We'll finish on a high and uh, yeah, we'll see you on YouTube. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. Please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.